Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for this word, this sustenance, this drink for our souls. Lord, may we drink deeply of comfort this morning, of good news. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about Israel's good news. Um, but I have to admit, I, I begin with some reluctance, some hesitation. I hesitate to stand up and to announce comfort, oh comfort, when I myself feel quite comfortable. <laughs> Isaiah is told to get up to a high place and to give the good news, the glad tidings of great joy, the thing that Christmas is all about. And I want to talk about this, but I want to talk about why, when I initially read this anyway, I don't know that I need more comfort. And so it made me ask the question, why? Why, why, was, it so, why was it so comforting to hear this news for Israel? What comes before this is interesting. Obviously, what comes before Isaiah 40 is another verse. Isaiah 39, 8. And I, oh, hi, friends. I just recognized my friends. Hola, Roy. Hola, Catherines. I haven't seen them almost a year. Hola. Bienvenidos. Um, uh, so I... 
obviously what comes before it is a verse, uh, uh, chapter 39, verse 8. But in that verse is um, really, really bad news. In that chapter is really, really bad news. So Isaiah is speaking to Hezekiah, who is the king, and he says, look, something terrible is about to happen. Babylon is going to come. They're going to ransack this place. They're going to destroy the temple. And your sons and daughters are going to be carted off to Babylon to become eunuchs in the court. Devastation and destruction is the promise. That is the prophecy. And then the next verse later is, O comfort, comfort, O comfort my people. And in, in a very unusual way, what happens is, is you have two verses next to each other, and in between those verses are about 160 years. 160 years. So again, it starts off with the prediction that Babylon is going to come and just destroy Jerusalem. And then 160 years later, there's going to be a return from Babylon to Israel's homeland. And that's the comfort that's being announced. 160 years in between was 160 years of silence. 160 years of no prophecy, nothing. We don't even get verses about it. We get nothing. <clears throat> 160 years of mourning and lament. We do have some other scriptures about it. Famously, we have a psalm. A psalm that talks about how they hung up their harps on branches because the people in Babylon told them to sing and they refused. Instead, they chose to remain silent. It's that silence that I'm interested in this morning. It's that silence that I'd like to explore. Zechariah's silence was about nine months. I mean the Zechariah of the New Testament. The story goes that there was a, a guy who was taking his turn as priest in the temple, and he goes in as priest, and then Gabriel appears to him, and, he, and Gabriel says, you're going to have a son, which was really big deal to Zechariah. He and his wife had never been able to have children, and Zechariah was pretty old at this point. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, really? That's my paraphrase, but that was basically what he said. Are you sure, really? And, um, and Gabriel says, okay, well, because you doubted, um, you're not going to speak for nine months. You're not going to be able to speak. And so Zechariah has nine months of silence before his son John, who becomes John the Baptist, is born. So in the one case, we have 160 years. In Zechariah's case, nine months. But we need to remember that Zechariah is a priest, and so he sort of represents the people. And by representing the people, he's sort of representing what was actually about 400 years. 400 years since the last prophecy from Malachi up until then. 400 years of silence. This is not what our time is like. We're not living in this kind of silence, at least not biblically speaking. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. God's speech is heard by anyone with ears to hear. And yet, there is a relationship between the word, the good news, the gospel, and silence that I want to explore this morning. A relationship to those who have perhaps struggled to hear the news of God as good. 
I read this week that um, uh, we're in a time now where people keep leaving the church and leaving faith. Um, it, it's not a time of people not being spiritual, but people um, in particular leaving Christianity. And someone, who knows if this is true, but they trotted out the statistic that said more people have left the church than joined during the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, and all of Billy Graham's crusades. That's, that was surprising to me. We're in a time of silence for a lot of people. A time when the good news doesn't really seem like good news. We're in a time when people don't hear it as good. A time maybe when folks don't hear it at all. But I'm thinking of us. You guys are bucking the trend. You guys are a statistical anomaly here. Look at you, you're here. Surely you still find goodness in the news or else you wouldn't be here, but I imagine you have moments. I, have mo I imagine you have times, times of silence when you would like to hear something from the Lord and have not. Sometimes it is a silence from God, longing to hear what we cannot hear, asking questions, no answers. Sometimes it's not knowing what to say. Maybe how to talk about what you believe to a coworker. You sort of stammer and stumble and say, you know, I, I'm in it, but I've got a lot of questions. Or maybe it's in speaking to God, not knowing what to pray, not knowing how to pray. Maybe that's the silence. For Israel, it was the silence of God and their own refusal to speak and to sing while they were in exile. And for Zechariah, it was an inability. He could try to speak, but he wouldn't be able to. Nothing would come out. In all cases, there is some reason, some purpose, I think, to the silence. And I think that's true of the silences that each of us face as well. In the two situations that we're looking at this morning, both in Isaiah and in, with Zechariah, in both of those situations, the central image is this image of wilderness. In, in Isaiah, we read, um, uh, Isaiah says, cry out, prepare a road in the wilderness, a great construction project where mountains are leveled and valleys are, are, are lifted up. I, I don't know if you, in the Northeast, you can drive around, um, I remember being in, living in Pennsylvania and they'd have these highways just shooting straight through the mountains and they would have these, these long um, supports holding up the highway. Um, so you could, you could drive straight and then even here, like you drive on I-70 and we've, we've chopped mountains to get through it. It's, it's that idea, that kind of a road is what he's talking about. And, and, um, and that is coming through the wilderness. Zechariah's son will cry out from the wilderness, John the Baptist. And Zechariah's son will say, prepare the way, make straight the paths. There's no reason to prepare the way of the Lord to take on a major excavation project if you think you are surrounded by roads. If you're at home, if it's easy to get around, 
The reason John goes into the wilderness is to show everyone that they are already living in a wilderness. That life for them had become a wilderness. I think silence sometimes can be a great comfort. Uh, Recently, I uh, was part of a birthday party for a 15-year-old. And so it was a whole bunch of other 15-year-olds. And it was so loud. It was so loud. Like they were in a different area of the house and it was still so loud. I retreated and it was so loud. And the silence was such a gift afterwards. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes we crave silence, but many times we are frankly afraid of silence. And so we fill it with sounds. (coughs) We fill it with sounds, we fill it with music, whatever. Or we're afraid of the silence in our own skulls. And so we fill it with an endless scroll, at least I fill it with an endless scroll of news headlines or images or whatever. In the example of Israel and Zechariah, we are invited to silence. To every once in a while, maybe even this season of Advent, maybe just a few moments in the morning to the silence that reveals the wilderness inside of all of us. I um, heard an interview recently uh, about two people, uh, two famous people. One's a musician of kind of a famous band. Some of you will know them, some of you don't. They're they're called The National. And then the other, uh, the guy who was interviewing was David Letterman, who I think we all know. And uh, it was a weird interview. You know, interviews used to be about like promoting things or whatever, and all they were talking about was depression. I I don't know what happened. Now... Now we're entertained by famous people talking about depression. Um, But anyway, I was fascinated. Um, I've struggled with depression in the past, clinical depression. Lots of people I know have. And so it was interesting to hear them talk about depression. Their depression had a common link that I thought was really intriguing. It's hard. It's hard to be one person on stage for a concert or to be one person who does five nights of television a week and then become a human person the other times. Become somebody who's ordinary with regular relationships and needs and desires and doubts and all the regular human stuff. And feeling that division in a way, like two people but wanting to be one person. After a while that can get to you. After a while that starts to manifest in depression. Um, Not many of us here pack out arenas with our music, um, but I think a lot of us feel this sort of separation of of who we are in different places and different situations. Of being one person in one setting and another person in another setting and then someone else and someone else and that kind of thing. You're around family, you only talk about certain things, you're at work, you have like a work persona, and maybe even at church. You know, maybe at church you don't want to be really honest about some of the things you believe or some of the stances you take because you know that people are going to disagree with you. That takes a toll after a while. That kind of bifurcation, that kind of division, that will take a toll. We want to be integrated people. That's what the word integrity means. We want to know and move about easily in the landscape of our lives. We want everything around us to kind of make sense. We want to know where the roads are. 
But instead, we keep quiet. And eventually, we realize we've lost our way. We've lost our way as far as who we are is concerned. We start to forget who we are. We forget where we are. We feel a bit like we're living in a kind of wilderness. If we do come to that point of realization, that's actually a really good thing. It's how, um, it's how, it's what Dante finds himself in in the very beginning of the Divine Comedy. He, in, he's having a midlife crisis, and he wakes up and he realizes he's lost. It's an ancient book, but it's a common experience. And then we have a choice to make. We can make our own way out of the wilderness, or we can make a way for God in the wilderness. We can make our own way, or we can make a way for God in the wilderness. And these are two very different things. Making our way is so common that we hardly even question whether or not we would do such a thing. It is the modern project, the project of self-sufficiency, of self-help, of ruthless independence, of freedom from people and places because they just drag us down, they get in our way, people are obstacles to who we want to become. Every obstacle, every person is an enemy who must be eliminated. The greatest difficulty with this approach, which actually is what Dante found, this, this ancient, realist, this is not new, is that we are our own worst enemies. We're the ones who get in the way of our project of self-sufficiency. So is there an alternative? The alternative is making a way for God. This is often missed in Isaiah, in Isaiah 40. Sometimes, you know, when it talks about make a way in the wilderness, we think what it means is that it's a way for us to get out of the wilderness. And, it, and this sort of makes sense because they were going home from Babylon. But Isaiah actually says, make a way for God in the wilderness. Clear in the desert a road for the Lord. Level in the wilderness a highway for our God. It's a little weird because... I would have thought it would be a road for them to go home, but it's a road for God. And in a way, Zechariah does the exact same thing. Zechariah has been in a barrenness for most of his life, childless, well, well into adulthood. And then finally, a son is born to him, and sons meant a lot back then because it meant you carried on. Your legacy carried on. That's why so many sons were named after their fathers. And in fact, in Luke 1, it says, why don't you name him Zechariah? Obviously, you would name him Zechariah. You will live on in your son. Won't this be great? And the very last thing he does as somebody who can't speak is he writes on a slate, no, his name is supposed to be John. Instead of Zechariah making a way for himself through this wilderness of silence and, and of barrenness, instead of that, what he does is he makes a way for the Lord by naming his son John and not Zechariah. It's his son, John, who will then make a way, a path for the Lord in the wilderness, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This path-making for the Lord, it can be another kind of silence. It's the silence of the shepherds on the hillside before the angels appeared. It's the silence <coughs> of the Magi on their way to Judea. 
It's the silence of Mary's pondering as she's told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. It's the silence of preparing to meet the Lord without a million demands. And if we can do this, if we can make a way for the Lord in the wilderness of our lives, if we can, we will hear what we never expected to hear from God. We will hear something surprising that all those people I just mentioned heard. The sound of a baby sucking at his mother's breasts. That is the sound of good news. That's the sound of the great symphony of creation, interconnected and responsive. That's the sound of a God who doesn't need to be completely independent in order to show his power. A God so powerful he can come as a completely dependent human child. It's the sound of Pilate saying, behold the man. It's the sound of Isaiah climbing to the top of a mountain and shouting at the top of his lungs, the good news, the gospel, here is your God. And it's the sound of us finding ourselves in that great symphony of creation and becoming exactly who God created us to be, connected with all others, connected with all things, and most of all, connected with him. Amen. Lord, when you spoke, when you spoke, your word dwelt among us. And we invite your word to dwell in our hearts. Please shut up the other words so that we can hear you in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you, and may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.